0: a lot of you listening might be slower than you could be and you could be a lot more faster recording your tracks if you knew about a couple of really handy tricks and this episode is sort of a workflow hacks episode meant to to help you speed up your workflow this is the self-recording band podcast the show where we help you make exciting records on your own wherever you are diy style let's go Hello and welcome to the self recording band podcast. I am your host, and I'm here with my co host and friend Malcolm Owen Flut. How are you, Malcolm?
1: Hello, I'm good, Benny. How are you, man? I'm good, thank you. Awesome. For some reason, right before we started this, I was like, <laughs> I need water, and and then now we're recording, and I'm like, ah, oh, it's too late. But I've I've been putting cinnamon in, in cinnamon in my coffee, and it's like the most. Have you, you've probably seen the cinnamon challenge, right? Nope. What? Oh, that's like a sensation it's uh, when really? people like put like a teaspoon of cinnamon into, into their mouth and try not to cough really and it's like impossible you can't you can't really? succeed I, I, you haven't seen that uh, bands were doing it all over the place it was like this hilarious no. thing <laughs> i, I want to try that now i've been drinking it in my coffee but it definitely like dries out your voice quite a bit but i'll be fine let's go let's record <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and don't try it in your studio, man. You'll have cinnamon over everything. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. No, I don't. I won't
0: do that. But I want to try it now because like, I just want to know if it's really possible. But yeah, I can imagine.
1: I would suggest watching some before you try it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but where, where where would you? Uh, where do you want to go uh, with this? Like, why
1: cinnamon in your coffee? And what? Oh, just because I don't even know. I uh, essentially I was like, I need water because my voice is. I feel like I'm going to like cough and stuff okay. now. <laughs> this is just a waste of our listeners' times. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's one of the weirdest
0: podcast intros that we ever had. I think, but yep. yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, we're in episode fifty, by the way, now, which is kind of crazy. Hey, that's a better thing to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so, like, th- this is really, this is really uh, interesting and amazing because, yeah, it still feels like it's pretty brand new, but we've almost got a whole year of episodes now. Yeah, every single week.
1: It's awesome. Crazy. Thank you all very much for listening. It's been a blast. And we don't plan on stopping. So, exactly. (laughs)
0: Um, And now, after like the last couple of episodes, we started doing within the last couple of episodes, we started doing a lot of um, things where we answer questions from the audience or invited people and just brought in outside like voices to the show. And this episode is like, it's not an interview episode but it's also something that came up in the community and that we just yeah that we just immediately acted on and like and thought we could do an episode on it and that was that we had a question in the community where someone asked what which kind of key commands or hotkeys we use or people use in general and that's a very interesting topic because i mean To us, it's just natural to do that. Like if you're working professionally in the studio, you need to be fast and you need to have an efficient workflow. So key commands are key. (laughs) And um, so you need to know those, of course. But I can remember when I started that I did everything with a mouse for a long time, pretty long time. Mm -hmm. And then I started to use basic key commands and then I got into the more advanced stuff. And it was a very long time actually until I got to macros and other workflow hacks and like speeding up things, it, it really took a while, so I think, or we think that a lot of you listening might be slower than you could be, and you could have a lot more fun and you could be a lot more fat, a lot faster recording your tracks if you knew about a couple of really handy tricks and, and things you can do, and that's yep. why this this episode is sort of a yeah, recording workflow hacks episode meant to to help you speed up your workflow,:
1: yeah. I've actually heard of people getting really big gigs because of how fast they are with their, their DAW. Um, their technical proficiency and speed and just ability to... I kind of like akin it to playing an instrument. If you treat your DAW like an instrument you're learning and become more proficient at it, that can actually have like a, a crazy impact on your life. <laughs> it oh, has yeah. for me. Um, I, I take speed extremely seriously. Um, and I, I was with you. I, I didn't even realize it was a thing. I mean, I kind of like always wanted to be as fast as I could, but I didn't realize how much learning shortcuts could impact making a record. Oh yeah. Cause it's not just for your own benefit. It's also for the musicians in the rooms, um, which sometimes obviously for listeners of this podcast is you, but if you have a singer waiting for you to comp a vocal so that they can try another take and you're trying to just like navigate and drag things around with your mouse, they're going to lose inspiration by the time you get it done so your job is to make it seamless and shortcuts are the only way to make that happen really shortcuts uh, and good workflow hacks
0: yes exactly and yeah you're going to you you can completely kill the vibe of a session if you don't use things like that and um i remember when i did my first couple of projects it was always this like Okay now we're doing another instrument or another take or whatever and I need to you now add a track and then I need to label it and I need to color it and I need to assign an input and wait now I accidentally copied something that isn't supposed to be there and now like you know all these steps and it took forever where now if someone wants to do another take, I just hit two buttons and we're good to go baby right yeah like you know depending on what what we're doing, but it's a totally different thing and back then it was like every single change to the session was like tedious (laughs) yeah and and that that's
1: that's the way many people work i assume still work and um so it doesn't have to be that way absolutely um it actually gets way more fun and creative once you have this stuff down because you don't feel like you're trying to learn a new language and by like looking for menus and and scrolling through menu bars trying to find the tech like the Option that you're looking for, it just becomes very intuitive, and your mind is now freed up to focus on the music side of things again. Side note: yeah. It was Josh Wilbur. That's who I'm thinking of that got a gig. He got a, a gig working for Andy Sneap just because he was wow. freaking good at Pro Tools. That's pretty cool. That's
0: <laughs> pretty damn cool. Yeah,
1: working for one of the world's biggest mix mixers uh, because of that. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty yeah. sweet. Yeah, and I can I can totally
0: see that, and uh, like things like. Assisting on sessions or editing, stuff like that. The speed is so, so, so important. I had a couple of sessions myself where I outsourced drum editing uh, before I got Thomas, who who does it all now, um, where I just needed a whole album of drum tracks within like two days or something crazy like that. and like not everyone can do that but i got i found some people who could and they not only like they did excellent work in like with a turnaround of like 24 hours or two days or so we like mm-hmm. i don't i don't know i don't even know how because i couldn't do it that fast probably to the level that they did it with that quality but there are people who are just that fast yeah and um that's fascinating and i can totally see that they get gigs because of that because that's so invaluable to producers and um musicians and studios so yeah
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's like another level of getting fast because that's, you know, you learn all the basic stuff and then you specialize at a task like drum editing. You're going to get really good. Um, same thing for vocal tuning. Uh, that's my favorite thing to outsource because people that get good at that are just so much quicker. And yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So because of the fact
0: that every DAW is so different and key commands and like shortcuts are different for every DAW, we- we won't really go over specific shortcuts to learn for you. you got to figure that out yourself or make your own, depending on which DAW you're in. But um, we're going to go first, I think, we're going to go through a list of basic key commands that we use that exist in every DAW in some yes. way, shape, or form. So we're just going to tell you what it is, what, what the things are that we uh, speed up. And um, yeah, you just got to find out what the key commands are in your, in your software or create your own shortcuts, depending on how you...
1: If, you, if your doll lets you do that. Yeah, highly recommend getting a notepad out for this episode so you can write down things. Um, true. Not going to be an easy one to remember stuff. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, pretty much we'll tell you the function of what we're, tra- what we're doing and not the actual buttons we press on the keyboard because those will change for whatever software you, you are using. Um, but as long as you know that the function can be done using your keyboard... That's the important thing. And you just need to figure out how to bridge that gap on your own. Yeah, exactly. So let's start with the the real
0: basics. Yep. Um, and that's something you mentioned before we started this episode, and I think you're totally right. I almost, like, I would probably have skipped this, but it's important to mention it. So things like um, hit record, start, and stop the playback. Sounds very simple, but there are probably a lot of people out there who still do that with their mouse. Mm-hmm. So before you navigate to The play and record icons just hit the spacebar or the whatever key it is that that activates recording and do it that way um and just get used to it instead of using the mouse that's the first step i guess
1: yeah that is that is a huge one it's like the dead giveaway of a a newbie (laughs) they grab the mouse and go looking for the round button to record arm things and then click the play button after it's so much quicker just to have i mean on a I'm not going to say what it is, but anyways, it'll yeah. be one, maybe two buttons on your on your keyboard and it'll be instantaneous and uh, you'll love not grabbing a mouse for that. <laughs> yeah. On that note, you also need how to, to know how to get back to the start of the session with a single click so that you can just like, because uh, I mean, that's something that you hear all the time. Can we just listen to the song start to finish? Let's just refresh ourselves and you just have to know which button gets you back to the beginning of the timeline and then which button starts to play back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Then you already said it, like arm tracks or solo tracks, mute tracks, those things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, these these are also like basics that you just need to need to know how to do them. Um, it, it's I guess this it's a little different from door to door because maybe you need to figure out how to select the track you actually want to arm or so, But there is a way to do it without having to use the mouse, and it's probably quicker than doing that. So those basic functions on every track, you need to know how to do that. The navigation, yep. a big one. Um you said navigating up and down on a track?
1: What do you mean uh, by that? I mean between tracks, not on a track. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So, you know, if you have like kick, snare, tom, tom, overheads and you want to just listen to the second tom, you need to be able to get down there and that's generally quicker just using a button that goes, kind of like transports up and down tracks rather than grabbing your mouse, scrolling through your window and finding the one. And then of course that ties into the solo, so you navigate to that track and then use your solo shortcut once you're on that track and now you're listening to just that track. There's a little more that goes into this because there's groups and stuff like that which you absolutely need to understand I'm, that's not on our list I don't think but uh, learn how to make groups which is just uh, parameters get linked between certain tracks um, and there is a shortcut for doing that too if you're selecting tracks by hand and then going up into your menu bar to find that that's too slow <laughs> Yeah, find a the, find the shortcut for that as well But uh, yeah, being able to navigate the session with your keyboard will feel really good once you get it down. There's one more little note on that. This is kind of uh, a workflow method more than a key command. But something I like to do with like vocals, especially, is I'll have one track that is a tracking playlist um, or track, I guess. And then below it, I'll have my arrangement. So there'll be my tracking track. And then below it, there'll be my lead vocal track. And then below it, there'll be my double. And then my other doubles, you know, panned left, panned right and then my harmonies and all that. And then maybe I'll have like an alt one. And instead of comping on the track I'm recording to, I'm just dragging down good parts onto their necessary tracks kind of things. So if I'm like, oh, that was really good, but not quite perfect, I might just throw that down onto the double track. And now my double's already partly done kind of thing. And it's kind of uh, just a method I like to do. But being able to not jump between tracks with my keyboard and command, like, you know, just command C, Command V paste things all over the place. It's so much quicker than trying to use a mouse to do that.
0: Oh yeah, that's a good one, actually. You you've mentioned that in in an episode, I think, before. I've heard that. I've had, I've heard I you... do it for
1: guitars as well. Pretty much whenever there's more than one track. Like like bass is normally just going on to bass. So it's not really yeah. necessary. But if I'm gonna have like a left and a right, I'll normally have a tracking track. <laughs> I call it a tracking track, which is a stupid name. Gotta figure that out. And then uh, and then my my comping tracks below it, and I'll just move them down onto that.
0: Hey friend, this is Benedict from TheSelfRecordingBand.com and if you are producing your own songs, I have a question for you. Do you ever listen to your music and feel like something is just off? Maybe the drums sound weak, or the guitar tone bothers you, maybe the vocals don't really cut through the mix, or the whole thing just doesn't sound finished and professional, but you can't really put your finger on it? I know you want to release big, punchy, professional-sounding songs, right? The type of authentic, unique art that connects with your audience on a deep level. But you're just not sure what's missing with your recordings. Somehow you just can't connect all the dots. And I get it, the amount of things to learn and all the conflicting information out there can be really overwhelming. Especially if you're a lone wolf trying to figure it all out on your own, right? Now here's the good news. Whether you've been self-recording for years or you're just setting up your first home studio, I want to offer you my personal one-on-one help. As long as you are determined to put in the work, I'm offering a limited amount of free one-on-one coaching calls with me. On this hour-long call, we'll dive deep into your recordings and create a personalized roadmap for you to finally solve the issues you're struggling with, so that you can release music that you'll be proud of forever. If you are ready to see and believe that it's actually possible to achieve your goals and make the records you've always wanted to make, then go to theselfrecordingband.com slash call and apply for one of my limited coaching spots. I can assure you that making exciting and successful DIY records is very doable. We've done it. Lots of other people have done it. You can do it as well. Talk soon. TheSelfRecordingBand.com slash call. Yeah. What that also helps with is a problem. I don't know if that's an issue in Pro Tools, but in Cubase, there's this thing. If you're monitoring through Cubase, you can and you arm a track, um, you have to enable the monitoring on that track if you want to hear in real time, what, like, if you want to hear the input, basically. And if you don't Mm. activate that track, you're going to hear the playback. So you can either hear the input or what's on the track. So usually when you are recording and comping on the same track, you need to engage the monitoring when the singer is performing. And then when you want to listen to the take, you need to deactivate the monitoring, Yes. which is kind of tedious. So what I do here is... I duplicate the track and I have the monitoring on on the second on the track that I'm not recording to, uh, so that I can yeah. just leave it on and record to the other track. But your method basically helps with that as well because you have that one track that has always that you can leave monitoring on, and then you just drag the, the stuff down to the actual track that you can then listen to. So
1: exactly, cool. Exactly, yeah, cool, That's awesome, pretty smooth. Yeah, yeah,
0: the navigating the sessions left to right is also a big one. Yeah, you know, like you said, like memory locations here. I, I assume you mean like chorus, verse, intro, yep, like the sections exactly. of the song. Yeah, that's a big one too. I I didn't do that for a long, long time. I only started doing that not too long ago, actually. Um, and I don't know why, and I I don't know how I could how how I was even able to work like that because now I have every section of the song. I have a marker there that I can jump to with a shortcut. And if I want to hear the chorus now, I hit a button and jump to the chorus. And if I want to hear the verse, I do the same. And now when I'm mixing, Thomas, when he preps the mixing sessions, he will do that. He will go through the song and make those markers for me. Nice. And whenever I track a session, so like on Saturday, I had a vocal tracking session here. And um, before we started, I just went through the song with the band and they told me, okay, this is the intro, this is the verse, this is the chorus, this is whatever. And we just made those markers real quick. And it like it takes 10 minutes to do that or five minutes to do that, but then it will save you so much time during the session because communication will be so much easier. Because if someone says, well, let's do a double in the chorus real quick, you don't have to ask where the chorus is or search for it. Or, you know, you just jump to the chorus and there you are. So.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's really quick. Again, intuitive because people don't want to sit there waiting to hear the part they're thinking about right now. They have an idea they need to hear it, like right away. Um, and it, it's amazing because we're talking about all these things which are obviously hugely important for recording but I bet we use these every day when we're mixing as well like our brain needs that as we're making mixing decisions as well like we just need to hear the part we're thinking about instant oh totally yeah. totally yeah yeah the next
0: one is one that I can't really talk about because it's like Beat Detective is Pro Tools specific there is but there
1: is something like that in Cubase that basically works the yeah. same way so Pretty much figure out what your primary editing tool is inside of your DAW and figure out how to get it up really quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there are shortcuts in every DAW. Like from in, in Cubase, it's like
0: you select a track, you um, create hit points, which is like the the, the transients, markers. like that the same right. thing Beat Detective does. And then you hit a button to slice the track, and then you hit the button to... Uh, quantize it and then you hit a button to do the crossfades yeah. and basically with three buttons you've edited a whole song of drum tracks and then you just need to go in and fix hits that might be off but basically with three buttons you can quantize a whole uh, song of drums you know
1: right yeah which can be super valuable to know if you need to just make that happen really quick um, I use that fade like the batch fading function of that all the time <laughs> so it's yeah a mandate I've got it on lock happens every day
0: yeah QA is just X if I have a comp, like if someone if we just chop like things up and we end up with a cu- lot of cuts, I don't do every fade after every time I cut, but I do all the cuts,, yep. and then I select everything, hit X, and then everything's crossfaded. Yep. And I even got a template in the crossfade window so that when I do that, all the crossfades are like 10 milliseconds and equal power and like you know all those parameters nice. that you can yep. set there, so that you have the same starting point and not random yeah. crossfades.
1: Yeah, I don't know if that's on our list even, but learning batch fades is important um, and save you a lot of time. Yeah, if you're getting pops and clicks in your comps, you got to learn that batch fades. Um, another thing worth mentioning, I think, is that while we use all of these functions that we're talking about, and we're just getting started, we have a lot to go. Uh, yeah, we. <laughs> I bet if somebody asked me like to recite what the key command is, I might get some wrong because it's just muscle memory. That, oh yeah, and that's important. I think to understand is you're not really you don't have to. Uh, remember what they are, you just have to learn them. Your hands have to learn them. And most of you are musicians, so you probably understand what I mean by that. Yeah. I I couldn't tell you what frets I play some of my songs on, but I could play it for you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, to- yeah, totally. Uh, that's for me, one thing is, uh, we get to that, but what, to me, the thing that I, I couldn't tell you right now is the workspaces thing in Cubase. So uh, there are shortcuts. Like workspaces in Cubase is a certain arrangement of windows, like which plugins are open, where they are on the screen, uh, what windows are open and where the where you are what you're looking at basically at a moment in time. Like that that is a workspace. And you can whatever you're looking at right now, you can save that as a workspace and then you can make a different window configuration, open different plugins, jump to a different spot in the session, and save that as a workspace. And then there's a shortcut to switch between those workspaces. And I don't know I couldn't tell you. I, I just hit I think it's op yeah, it's option. And then a number, like for all these different workspaces. Right. But I I don't know. I just do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And this is also very handy for navigating a session. So I have one workspace for um, where it only shows me the edit window. So it's full screen editing window. And it's like start to end of the song, like the whole song on one screen. It's like one click of a button. Another one is the mix window, all the faders, full screen. Right. Another one is called metering, where I have... I have an ultra wide screen, so the left side of the screen will be the edit window, the right side will be the mix window, and on spots on the screen where it doesn't cover anything important, there will be metering plugins that I need. So mm. with one click, I can see an analyzer on the master, I can see a vu meter on the mix bus, and I can see certain gain staging things that are relevant to me. So that's the metering workspace, and then there is like a "show me all the buses" workspace, or like right. stuff like that, you know, or "show me all the drum tracks," you know. So I have cool. numbers one to nine. Like show me with one click all the things that I need if I want to do a certain thing.
1: Awesome, yeah. I I think there is something like that, and I mean, a couple of those are definitely built into Pro Tools just default, but uh, the like the really custom ones I gotta look into that more. I'm writing it down now, folks. <laughs> yeah, that's that's super
0: handy. That's and I get to a more advanced use of those later, which is not difficult to do, but it's super cool. cool. Um, yeah. Like navigating the section, basically. Do everything you can to make that as smooth and intuitive as possible so you don't have to think about it. And if someone needs to hear or see something, you just hit some button and then there you go. So you need to get to that point.
1: Yep. Uh, This is not a key command, but it is definitely a workflow hack that I think we've talked about in the past. Uh, But having some template sessions... Like for tracking, um, in, in my case, I've got a tracking template and a mixing template. And I think I'm just going to make them the same soon. But uh, anyways, they're different for now. And it just has like all the tracks that I'm almost definitely going to need. You know, it's going to have to click track already in there. It's going to have a scratch vocal and a scratch guitar track sitting there ready to be recorded to um, with the inputs already selected. It'll have, you know, a little default reverb and delay on that vocal. It'll have headphone monitoring all set up and bust and ready to go routed and all my go-to drum tracks, you know, you know, I'm going to need a kick mic. I'm going to need a snare mic. They're good, so why don't they already exist? And that probably saves me like a half hour a song, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm quick with Pro Tools, so it'd save a slow person at least an hour. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So I've I've got one in every studio I work at as well, because I, I do drums at a bunch of different studios. So I, that's the first thing I do when I go to one is I make a, a template. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, that's my starting point. Totally.
0: Also the routing, like buses and stuff, you want to have probably a drum bus, just a, a group. Yep. Even if you don't mix, you want to have just one fader where you can mute or solo the whole drum kit. So... Yeah. Why not just have in the template all the basic drum tracks that you're always going to have, like kick, snare, toms, overheads, rooms, or whatever, whatever it is that you always use, and route all those to a group and have that in the template. And same with like all rhythm guitars go to one bus or all lead guitars or all the vocals, stuff like that. Exactly. Already routed, already ready to go. Um, Maybe you want some plugins there, maybe not, but just the routing alone saves so much time. And yeah, definitely pre-configure that because it will be the same every single time.
1: The plugins is a good point. I've got an EQ just sitting on every track it's like probably going to want it. It's there. If I don't, that's fine. Yeah, or like different
0: options. Like this get this gets more into mixing now, but yeah. for example, I have like three or four different mix bus compressors sitting there deactivated, but they are already there so I don't need to look, go through the plugins folder. That my like my go-to choices are there and I just can switch between them and see what works best or like same with right. drum compressors or so I have a small selection of the plugins that I'm really going to use versus like going through 30 compressors f- trying to find the one, you know?
1: Yeah, definitely. That's a great idea. Uh, Benny Totally unrelated note that's going to bore our listeners again, but is that a bunch of snow outside of your door? The lighting changed on yes. your rear door there and I can see out of it. Ah, you've got yes. a lot of snow. Yes. Right on. Yeah, absolutely. There, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> to make you jealous, on uh, Friday, I was sitting on a beach having oh, a beer shit. in the sun. <laughs>
0: shit. Ah, yeah, that would be really cool right now. I mean, I, I kind of like the winter, but uh,
1: yeah. Summer would be better right now. I mean, it it is so weird on the island. We had, uh, I mean, maybe two weeks ago, we had like a foot of snow. And then on Friday, I was sitting in the sun having a beer. It's like the weirdest thing. (laughs) I get a t-shirt on a beach. I'm like, what? What? How is this possible? Where where, where, where were you? I was, this is where I live, Vancouver Island. Yeah, that's just how it is here. (laughs) Shit. In in the last two weeks, we've had a windstorm, snowstorm, and then t-shirt weather. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's crazy man that's so, no you can't wear a t-shirt right now outside <laughs> not, not at all like I saw I saw like, we need to get back to the episode but I saw a really funny meme today like a really funny picture you know Lasalamat, the guitar player like uh, so. Lasalamat, who did a lot of like, oh yes I do yeah I yeah,
1: do yeah, yeah, who did a lot
0: of like Kemper uh, packs and stuff and he's like a guitar um, expert and well known in the metal scene especially as a mix engineer and guitar player and stuff and he just posted a, a meme where there was the like a guy with a scarf and a, and a hat uh, and, a, and a beanie, you know, like a okay duke. Yeah, exactly. And it just said, "The air hurts my face." Why do I live somewhere where the air hurts my face? <laughs> like, like, I could so relate to that because yeah. like, that's what it feels outside right now. You go outside and the air hurts your face. That's, that's yeah. the weather we have
1: now. That's how I feel about everybody else in Canada living like in the rest of Canada. I'm like, why? Why don't you? <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right.
0: Funny. So... Um, yeah, and then the last one of the basics here is the activate click track. So, mm. uh, yeah, basic one again, but still, you need to know how to do that and don't use the mouse for that. Don't look, don't search for the click icon. Just know how to turn it on and off.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These are things that we use every single day. So, they're just, you got to get them to be way quicker and it'll free up a lot of your time and mental capacity. Absolutely. Yeah. Now we get into the more.
0: Um, yeah, not more interesting, but like a more little more advanced stuff. And there's some a couple of really interesting things here coming up. Not only shortcuts and key commands, but general workflow um, hacks, speed hacks. Yes. So, yeah, I'm curious to hear yours, Malcolm. Let, let, okay. Talk us through a bunch of yours on your list so, here.
1: Why don't I, we'll do it this way. I'll read one off my list and explain it, and then you'll read one off okay. your list and explain it. We'll jump back and forth like that. That sound good? Okay, sound good. Okay. So this first one for me, I love doing when I can, but it kind of requires having enough gear to make it possible and the space and all that. But I like to set up what I call stations. So you might have uh, a mic sitting in a vocal booth or two or whatever, and then a guitar amp mic'd up somewhere else and then a bass DI sitting in the control room or whatever. And essentially now we don't have to batch all of the bass at once, although we could. (laughs) And maybe you should. But if we want to we can just instantly grab another instrument and it's already rigged up, ready to go. And there's like a tone and levels already done. And I most, like the most often use case of this would be vocals because I don't like in the vocalist to sing everything all like the way through and blowing up their voice and getting tired. And uh, just want want them to be excited every time they're in there and keep it into small chunks. So I'll usually have like guitar going. And then once we finish a rhythm track, we're going to move over and do vocals. And for a song, and then we can come back and do guitars or we can do bass, whatever, because those stations are still set up. We didn't have to repatch and use the same gear. So, this only works if you have enough preamps generally and, and whatever other gear you need. But it can really be a nice way to keep workflow fresh and exciting and moving.
0: Absolutely. And I, you don't really need that much gear, like an eight channel interface lets you do that. Like yeah. once you're done with drums, you can start doing that. So you could have one or two channels for bass. You could have a couple of yeah. channels for guitar, and would you would still have like a channel for the vocals and maybe one for gang shouts or whatever. Um, exactly. So that that would be pretty easy. You need the microphones though. That's the only thing. Yes. But um, yeah. But I I guess it's not too complicated to do. And I love that way of working. I didn't do it for a long time, but I do it definitely do it now. I have a band here right now to record a record with me, and we have that exact thing going. So, um, to the left of me, there is a JCM 800, and below that is a 5150, and both are connected to cabs in my control, uh, in my live room, with the microphones ready to go. And there is a vocal mic in there, and there is a bass DI set up, and the bass cap mic'd in there, and awesome. we can switch between all those
1: things, and uh, super easy, super smooth.
0: Yeah, very cool.
1: Yeah, because if somebody gets tired. It sucks pushing them. Just let them have a break and do something else.
0: Totally. Yeah, I can totally see that that being valuable. I don't know why I batch things for so long, especially with the vocalists. Like, it's so dumb to have a vocalist, especially if you're in a time crunch, like if you have a deadline yeah. and a vocalist has to sing a whole record in like two or three days, it's just not a good idea. Not <laughs> really. Fun. No, yeah. not fun.
1: Drummer's a... Yeah. They have to suffer. They, <laughs> they just have got to, to suffer, yeah. <laughs>
0: unless you have the luxury of a really big live room and a lot of microphones or preamps, they'll go yeah, and preamps. They, yeah, 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 and budget. Yeah, and also, <laughs> yeah, and also, teking drums is a thing as well. If it takes too long to to track drums, you're going to end up needing to change the heads too often and retune stuff. Yeah. So you just want to get that out of the way. Exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. All cool. Right, you go.
0: Makes sense. Um, My first one here is track DI and mic on one stereo track or two one stereo track. That mm-hmm. sounds a little advanced or weird maybe to some people, but what I mean by this is sometimes when I have, I, I do that myself sometimes, but I really like to do that when I work remotely with bands who record themselves, because I, if I can't be there to quality control, so to make sure that if they're recording a DI and an amp, that it's actually in sync and like um like that the two tracks are, that the phase is always the same, that, um, that, that it's the same take on both those tracks if I can't control those things, because it can get messed up. It can You can accidentally comp make two different comps on a DI and an app and an track, and it can get all messed up. So if I can't be there to control that, I just tell them to record to a stereo track and have them like you you assign, let's say, you have a two-channel interface, and you assign channel one you plug the microphone in channel 1 and the the DI in channel 2 or so or vice versa. Yeah. And then you make one stereo track in your DAW and you record the amp to the left side and the DI to the right side and all you need to do then is a plugin that lets you sum it to mono. So there are plugins like most DAWs have them built into it but there are free plugins that have just have a mono button. Mm. You hit it and you get a mono uh, thing and then you you can pan you can use the pan on the track to switch between the amp or the DI, depending on what you want to hear. So you can, if the amp is on the right, you can have the pan all the way to the right, hit the mono button, and you only hear the amp. And right, um, yeah, and the DI will just get tracked to the same track, but you don't hear it. And when they sent the stuff over to me, I have a, two tracks that are perfectly in sync, and it makes editing easier. It makes sure that yeah, things are always together as as they should. It's always the same take. And that's a little neat workflow that I I, I yeah I really like. And you yeah, can get yeah. more advanced with that. You can do some crazy things. You can have, if you have dual mono plugins, you can have an amp sim on the DI and blend it with the mic with the using the pan knob and stuff like that. So oh, you I can never do, thought of that. That's you cool. can stuff. You could do stuff like that on one track, which can be pretty neat. So
1: yeah, yeah, I, that's something that I haven't adopted, but I've been hearing about it for a while. And I keep thinking about it. I'm just kind of an old man stuck in my ways, but I I'll, I'll give it a shot next time. I promise. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's I, I don't do it as often here because I don't really like the the thinking, the thought process, like having those things on one track and then what gets summed and do that do I mix the DI with the yeah. mic and all that shit, you know? And and some plugins do it differently than others, so it's a little advanced. I just do it, um, and I give them specific plugins to do it so I can make sure that it works. But I, I just make people do it if we don't trust or they don't trust themselves mm. that they can do it without, me- like, yeah, um, right. messing things up. And if I can't be there to quality control, that's that's just a way to work around that.
1: Yeah. Now, do you have a plugin that you recommend off the top of your head?
0: Yeah, I use, uh, what's the Brainworks one? I don't know the name at the top of my head. It's like BX Solo, I think it's called. Okay. Where you right. can solo the mid and side and left and right and mono and all those options. I use right. that I- for that. I think that's a free one, isn't it? Could be. Yeah, could be. And there are a couple of free ones. There's one called Panipulator. That's definitely free. It is
1: free. Just anybody interested, it's free, which I'm downloading right now. <laughs> <laughs> the BX one or which one? BX Solo is free. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that's the one. Um, and yeah, you can do it with that. And um, it's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna give that a shot. The only reason I hadn't was because I didn't really like have a plug in off the top of my head that was going to be convenient for that, you know? I I could like pull up a dual mono EQ and then unlink and then go to the left and drag the volume down on the input and output. And then (laughs) it just seemed like a pain in the ass. But uh, yeah, cool. And and I think I explained it wrong.
0: I mean, that's one of the things where I I cannot really explain it. I just know how to do it because I think the right way to do it is you need to first select either left or right and then hit mono because you don't want to sum the thing and then pan it. You want to hit, you want to select one of those things, then hit mono so that you
1: hear it like coming out of the middle. That's the way yeah. to do it, not the other way around. So yeah, I, I'm looking at the plugin right now. It'll be it'll be obvious for anybody that tries this out. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um,
0: so yeah, that, yeah, that's 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 one thing.
1: Okay, cool. That brings me to mine, which is very related, and that's just recording a DI, even if you don't plan to reamp. Um, and that's definitely a misconception I've heard is that people think that DI's are just for the like for the purpose of changing the tone later, which. Is something i almost never do i mean i do re and i love doing it it's fun but it's never my goal i'm always trying to capture the amp on the way in um so the di is actually more of a visual tool uh for editing a lot of the time it's very like you can't really edit an amp a heavily distorted amp sound um easily i should say it's not fun <laughs> yeah uh and a DI will make it a lot easier. And they can also be little lifesavers, you know, if there's like something out of tune, you can, you can fix it there. There's all sorts of stuff you can do with the DI. So I'm just hugely team, always record a DI, no matter what. Even if it's an acoustic guitar and it's got a plug and I'm still going to do it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, agreed. Same here. I rarely reamp if I do the, th- the tracking just because I'm, I kind of know what I'm, what I'm doing, what I'm going for, and I, I just go with whatever I record. But for the visual... Reference. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And why not record it? I mean, it doesn't do any harm, so just record it. Yeah. I heard I think it was Jay Maas on the URM podcast who was talking about a session and he was like, We didn't even track we didn't even track the eyes on that session because we're punk as fuck, you know? And I'm yeah. like, Yeah, that's
1: cool, but That's the only reason Yeah, are punk. <laughs> yeah, because we're punk as fuck. But yeah, I mean why not why not record a DI? So Yeah. That's funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> I like that.
0: Uh, yeah, so yeah, track a DI. You will see where the transients are and um, you will see where... Yeah, it's just it's just handy. It's just
1: no reason Definitely
0: not is. to. All right, cool. On that same topic, uh, this is the one that I love recently. I, d- I do that on the session right now here and there's multiple reasons why I love that. So what I do is I'll track a DI so I have the guitar plugged into a good DI. That's the only thing I directly record. Then the output of that DI track in the DAW is routed to a physical output which goes into a reamp box which goes into the amp and then the microphone is set up and it captures the amp and then records back in. So I'm kind of reamping in real time. So the guitar doesn't go to the amp it goes to the computer out of the computer in the amp and then the mic comes in. So there is a latency between the DI and the mic if you do that but you're only Mm going to listen to the, the amp anyway. You need to have an interface and a software that's capable of very, very low latency in order to do that, because you have a you need to have a round trip of like only a couple of milliseconds in order to make that work, um, because you're going in and out uh, of the computer and you want to
1: still monitor. Right. So the yeah, you are listening to that reamp signal as you perform. Yeah. Exactly. Great. And the beauty of that is two things.
0: First of all, if you're tracking. And you find that after tracking, you really like the take, but you think, ah, that could have used a little more gain or something. You don't need to set anything up. You just hit play, turn up the gain. The reamp is already set up. You just re-record it without having to play it again. And there you go. So you have the reamp set up going while you're tracking. So you can make adjustments to parts without having to play it again during tracking, which is super awesome.
1: Yeah, that is very cool.
0: That's super cool. And the other beautiful thing is, you can use your plugins while you're tracking because you can you have access to the DI before it hits the amp. So um, we had a couple of parts yesterday or last week. Where it was where we tracked the eyes and we were like, oh, let's try a tremolo here or let's try uh, a delay and some reverb or whatever. And you can use a, a pedal board, of course, but you you would either have to have that big pedal board in your signal all the time, which you shouldn't do, mm-hmm. or you need you would need to patch in and out stuff. And if you just want to move quickly without degrading the signal, you could just you can just use whatever digital plugins, uh pedal boards you have, or other plugins. You can go crazy with it, or you can use clippers or whatever, because you have access to the DI, you can manipulate it before it hits the amp. So we tracked Very a bunch cool. of delay tracks or reverb tracks using pedals that come with the newer DSP plugins, for example. Or we use we just turned the amp off when we turned the cab off and just used the pedals from those plugins.
1: Right. That's or, very cool.
0: Yeah, or we use like sound toys stuff or a crazy tremolo things that are only possible in the, in the digital world and yeah. we send that stuff to the amp and use it while we're tracking. And that's so fun. So I really enjoy that sort of setup. The only thing you need to do afterwards is you need to compensate if you want to reamp or if you want to blend, um, let's say, sims with the actual recording, you need to compensate for the latency between the DI and the mic track because there will be a latency, of course.
1: Right. Uh, do you yeah. have a method that you like to use for making sure you get that right?
0: Um mostly by ear, but yeah, there's there is a, there is a method. Um the same method that I use basically if I want to make sure two mics are in phase, I just have the guitar player do a quick little impulse just a little pick click on the on the right. string and like I watch that and it gives you a really clear transient spike in the DAW and you yeah. can just use that and move it so that it like overlaps perfectly right. and
1: yeah. Yeah. I use a signal generator and just make a little blip of white noise and then that once it's recorded back in, I can see like a little, okay, it's that many samples. <laughs> yes, there yes, go. yeah, exactly. Now, I do have a question. This might be a little technical. Ah, this is a technical podcast, whatever. Yeah. Uh, are you sending it out, an output inside of your DAW or is it happening just in your interfaces, total mix kind of, uh, I think you've got an RME, right? Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah. is that called Total Mix? I think it's, it's called, called it's total called mix. Total Mix. Yeah. No, I is don't, it happening it, it, in there?
0: No, it's in Cubase because I want to use the plugin. Uh-huh. So I go a track to a track in Cubase, and right. the output of that track is sent to a physical output. Right, 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 right. And then I can use the plugins, and the buffer is set to minimum so that I don't have. It's like that's the cool thing about the RME interface, at least like mine. It's like super super low latency. I can have like one millisecond in and out or something, and it's like.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I'm gonna have to look into the UA world and see what it can handle in that domain. Yeah,
0: but I, I highly encourage you if you can do that, if you can pull it off with low enough latency. I highly encourage you to try that because it's such a fun way to work. Even just the fact that you can just hit play and change the amp tone without having yeah. to set something up—it's awesome.
1: Yeah, going back to DI's and why they're totally worth doing it, um, especially for like the people that are into like really fast shreddy music. That's like really technical. It has to be perfect, you know. DI's are capable of being mutated much more than a, a recorded amp signal. Um, like you can stretch them and like use all these kind of weird pitch stuff and all this stuff that you can't really do to an amp sound because it's too complex. <laughs> um, and it, it sounds fine. And then you reamp it and it sounds totally good, including like chopping up doing really hard edits. You oh, can yeah. like really butcher something. And if you did it to the amp sound, it would be awful. But if you do it to the DI and then reamp it, it's totally Im- invisible and, and works great. So if you were in a tough situation and your guitarist just wasn't up to the task of playing that part, you could record the DI, edit it to snot, and then reamp it out, and you'd probably get away with it. So that's, that's a super cool method you've got there.
0: Cool. Yeah. Uh, and I forgot one benefit as well, as well here, and that is. If you're planning on reamping anyways, so if you have in mind that you wanna like borrow some amp to do the reamps or whatever it is that you want to do, if that's the plan, then so I had for example, I had a, I'm mixing a record right now for a band who like they tracked rather quickly and focused on the performance because they knew they were gonna reamp later and then focus on the tone, so they kind of split it up into two different parts of it. Mm. And if you know that you're gonna reamp anyway, another be- beautiful thing about this method is that you already know. How the amp reacts to the reamp signal because an amp sounds different if you plug right into it versus if you reamp through it. Like it's not it's not going to be the same. You're always going to have to do some matching. If you, yeah. I don't know, like it's the impedance. It's like a reamp signal is not exactly the same as the one that comes out of the guitar. There's the conversion. There's the preamp, but there's also like probably an impedance and a couple other things at play. So when you track like that, you intuitively adjust the amp. To work with that reamp signal without you having to think about it, you just do it and make it sound good, just as you would. And then right. when you reamp later, that's already perfect. You don't need to do anything because the amp is already set to to respond to the reamp signal the way it should. Right.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. It's good. Good thought. I got an EverTune guitar a little while back. <laughs> <laughs> I probably mentioned it on the Fox. I can't remember if I did actually. Maybe I didn't, but I got one and. Uh, at first, it was garbage. It was set up really bad <laughs> right from the factory. It was out of tune, which is the whole point of Never Tune is that they're super in tune. Um, <laughs> and uh, then I changed the strings and didn't realize that I couldn't go that heavy and it didn't work out. So I had to go back and finally got it going good. And Diego, actually, uh, Diego, who we had on the podcast, uh, two episodes, three episodes ago now, I think. yeah, I think. Uh He and if you haven't listened to that episode, it's a must listen. My God, that was a good episode. But uh, I got him on Facebook Messenger Zoom call thing, and he he talked me through it a little bit, and I've got it set up now, and I am so excited about this thing. Um, (laughs) I'm like, I'm now so converted that I'm like anybody that's serious about self recording and just wants to like save years of learning how to properly record guitars should just consider an EverTune mandatory. Like it's just that simple. As soon as you have one, your guitars are going to be really. Good.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally, totally agreed here. There are people who don't like the EverTunes for their sound, but I say like even if they sound a little worse than without it, it's worth it. It's so worth it compared to the tuning nightmare that you get with some guitars. So
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the intonation like becoming good at intonation takes years uh, of of practice to really understand how to do that well um, and and hear it cr- properly. Yeah, uh, and that's the biggest thing for for like a bit of hard truth for diy people that have sent me stuff to mix is that is the most commonly lacking thing in the guitars is the tuning totally Um, and you might think it's great but it's like there's a difference (laughs) and (laughs) And this will sound awesome totally people don't realize how important to this they don't even hear it in the beginning i think
0: i didn't i couldn't hear it for a long time because i it didn't bother me and now it bothers me all the time to the point where i think i'm Going crazy because I can't believe that it, that always something is something's always seems off. Now I'm so yeah. sensitive to this. Like it's like something's it's always of <laughs> off. I, I kind of doubt myself sometimes because I think it, it's maybe it's me, you know. But you you get so sensitive and yeah. And but it's it matters. It matters so much. And like the scenario that I am, that I'm in right now, I wish I had an Evertune here right now because what we what we're dealing with is I'm going to show you real quick. We have one guitarist plays with this ESP. Um, mm-hmm thing Cinematic. here. Yeah, that's and that's super super in tune. It's like well set up, super in tune, no problems there. Um the other guitar. The other guitar is also well set up and we made sure everything is, is good. But the other guitar is just a standard telly and um, just a fender is telecaster.
1: A, is that a three saddle or I can't really tell.
0: Um they they have these these jumbo frets and like they are right. like it's a different sort of guitar and it just compared to the ESP guitar it's so different to so difficult to set up and to keep and tune and those two together is such a nightmare that I just wish we had an ever because getting that to work is such a pain it, it sounds awesome and it's fun to work of course but still we are like we spend as much time tuning as we spend playing almost exactly. like really yeah and uh, like that's just how it is and in the beginning, like on the first day, bands sometimes are a little confused and surprised that it is that way, but yeah. it's just it's it's what it is. And I I've talked to so many producers on all sorts of levels, and it's just it is that way. It like there's mm-hmm. no way around it. You need to do that,
1: and with an average tune, yeah. you don't. <laughs> At least not as much. Yeah, one of the biggest differences between a massive budget because I got the I had the pleasure of making a really big budget album. And the difference is time. And it's just that time is spent making sure that tuning is perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty much it. And if you're wondering what the difference is between a pro vocal and mediocre vocals, is in-tune instruments under that vocal. Because your singer can't sing in tune if your guitars are out of tune. It's just not possible. So no. it, it's it's so important. And uh, Evertune, if you're listening just email us, we'll send you our address, you can send us free shit, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly. Exactly, yeah. That would be the, the yeah, the dream sponsor. Yeah, um, they've got an Evertune bass coming, apparently. There's a prototype in the, in the oh, works and I'm so excited. I'm, yeah. I'm going to buy one for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, seriously,
0: Like. but really, seriously, if you consider buying a guitar, consider buying an Evertune. All the, the standard guitars are available with an Evertune. I would say most of them yeah, and if not, you can. There's probably some um, I don't know what they are called. Authorized, I don't know, um, guy
1: or, or authorized girl dealer, or whatever yeah. dealer. Tricky that can, in Canada, I found. Um, but they, you can get them, and they are not as confusing as you think. It like once you wrap your head around it, you'll 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 understand what's going on. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's a big one. Awesome. Um, yeah.
0: So the next one here on my list are is uh, macros, and that's sort of key commands. We've already talked about that, but macros is I don't know if you can, what you can do in Pro Tools when it comes to that, but Cubase is pretty good at that. So it's a chain of key commands of hotkeys that you can activate with one key or one shortcut that you you set. So you can say create eight tracks, label them red, call them whatever, route them to a bus and then do whatever. So you can have like all these individual shortcuts, hotkeys, you can make a chain and you can trigger them with one shortcut. Yeah, that, That's a simple version of a, of a macro. You can do really complicated thing, things there. You can come up with all sorts of workflows and you can really condense complex um, lists of tasks to one action that you need to perform and then let the computer do the rest. It's super okay. powerful and I love it and I need to get into more because I don't really use it to like not 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 at all like to its full potential, not, not even close to it. But I, I use some of them and I've
1: created some and it's so awesome. Right. Yeah, that, that's definitely cool. Uh, Pro Tools is less developed in that, that realm. Um, I use a tool called Keyboard Maestro to kind of pull off some stuff like that. Which is a third party thing that you can kind of make shortcuts in. Um, And there is, yeah, no, you can make some custom shortcuts, but it's pretty limited inside of just Pro Tools itself um, using, yeah, the keyboard Mac settings. But it definitely is worth looking into pretty much to figure out if this would help you is start trying to realize tasks that you're doing over and over again in succession. And you'll figure out patterns. And once you determine a pattern, try and make a macro for it and then you just saved hours of your life. (laughs) Yeah. Can be simple things like um, select
0: all the events on the track, consolidate them to one audio file, and then normalize it, and
1: then whatever. It's just stuff like that, you know? Right. Um, We're at like 53 minutes, so we're going to start boogieing like hyperspeed here. Yeah. Uh, This one has been mentioned before, but and people really liked it, so I think it's worth mentioning again in case there's new listeners or people didn't give it a shot, but muting the strings you're not playing on your guitar. Um, Just grab piece of paper towel or whatever you can and uh, or like those foam earplugs those are awesome <laughs> really you can manipulate those just make sure they haven't been used and <laughs> and then uh, you just mute the strings I, you know between the pickup and the string it'll keep it dead and then you don't have to be as tight of a guitar player even though you should still try to be <laughs> <laughs> yep but yeah. it just makes it cleaner
0: yeah string mutes absolutely there are various techniques you can do you can even like uh, if you're only doing a riff on the lower lowest three strings, you can just tape away like the uh, the other three things strings yeah. that you don't need, or you can use this, the like the shred wraps things or whatever uh, various d- 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 techniques. But just consider muting whatever is
1: ringing and it's not supposed to be in there. Mm, that just made me think that I'm going to do this the next time I have a piano and see what that sounds like. That's a good idea, actually sometimes those low strings just rumble whenever they click the sustain pedal and stuff like that you know okay we gotta be quick let's go it can can also be sort of the sound part of
0: the sound of a piano doing that
1: yeah sometimes it's awesome
0: yeah but yeah that's a good thought awesome cool uh, as always, you can abuse those things as well to manipulate stuff, even if it's not supposed yeah. to be used that way. So cool. Uh, the next one here is yeah, when you're using direct monitoring. So when you're not monitoring through your DAW, but you're monitoring through something like Total Mix or your UAD console or uh, whatever mixer comes with your interface, or some interfaces such as my small Steinberg interface, they have a hardware uh, mix knob where you can blend between like playback and direct monitoring through the hardware. If you do something like that, so you get like zero latency monitoring through the hardware, and you still want to have like delay or reverb on your monitoring chain, um, it's cool to have like a, as Malcolm said, in, the, in your template have a reverb and a delay track set up that's just wet only, like only reverb, only delay, mm-hmm. and just send the track you're recording to those uh, to the effect tracks, and um, only send that to the headphone. So you're not monitoring your actual recorded track through the DAW. That's dry, that's direct monitoring, but you're monitoring you're listening to the delay and the reverb. And if there is a latency, which is probably the reason for you wanting to do direct monitoring, it doesn't really matter because like a delay and a reverb you can you can use that with a little latency. So let's right. say you have a fully loaded session and you cannot track into it anymore without like latency, but you want to add some overdubs and you need to do direct monitoring, but you still want to have a delay on your vocal. Just route the delay only to the vocal and do the rest direct, and it works perfectly fine.
1: Awesome. Good one. Uh, This is one that's a little more new to my workflow, but I've been occasionally using autotune on a recording track. So you can get, like, no latency tuning plugins, like uh, Waves Tune Real Time is actually a pretty good one. And the singer will actually sing with that on their track, and they're hearing it. And this isn't for everyone. (laughs) They'll either hate it or they'll love it. But some, like... It's almost like you're singing along to the song and it helps you just nail the pitch. You like hear it right away and you get there quicker. It's weird that it works. I didn't think it would work at all, but it has definitely helped in a lot of situations. Sometimes we're turning it on for parts and off for others or whatever, but totally worth knowing that that's an option.
0: Agreed, agreed. Uh, It helps them sing and it's surprisingly good as well. Like it can, yeah.
1: I also like using it as like, sometimes singers get really self-critical, right? And they're like, "Oh, like ugh, that part's just no good." And I throw a tuning plug on on, and it sounds the exact same. I'm like, "Okay, it's in tune, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. it, it is. It just is." Or maybe it goes opposite and it like jumps to another note entirely, and you're like, "Okay, yeah, we're definitely too far off." Yeah. It's kind of like a guide if your ears can't tell.
0: Oh yeah, totally. Do you ever commit it, or do you just put the plug in on the track and listen to it to? As, I like, just put it means. on. I've
1: never committed uh, an auto auto tune. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cool.
0: Um, because I know I know people who do that because it actually can sound really good and they just trust that it works. I wouldn't do it probably, but it's just it's it's really that yeah, good. If you set useful. it right, you can you you could commit it. It's that good. But I I wouldn't recommend it because you don't have to. Yeah. Um okay, so the next one is real quick. It's just um an uh, addition to the um macros uh thing and also to the workspaces thing that I mentioned in the beginning. I use an app called Stream Deck. There is an actual device. It's made for streamers. It's like a a little, yeah, a little pad with like it has, it has the, the different configurations. It's, there's one with I think nine buttons, and one with fifteen, and one with thirty buttons or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can assign shortcuts, key commands, whatever. You, everything your computer can do, basically, you can assign those commands to those keys. And with the press of a button, you can make your computer do something. So it's meant for streamers to. Um, trigger sound effects or switch switch camera angles or stuff like that so it's like a a little yeah control deck that you have there that's that's the purpose but you can it's it's widely used actually in a lot of fields now and a lot of audio producers use it as well because you can do put all the key commands macros and whatever to those buttons you can have different layers for different apps on your computer to use it and I thought about buying one of these until I discovered that there is an iPad app that works just as well like it's from the same company you can just use your iPad and you don't have to buy the device and the, the app is like way cheaper and um, yeah and, and but the device is not as expensive as well uh, so I have my iPad here and with I can ha- switch my workspaces to Cubase uh, with the click of a button and it just says edit meter bus whatever and I oh, just cool. hit it and it switches the different workspaces then there is a layer for just general like office work. So I have the websites that I always go to, or like my CRM, my calendar, my to-do list, whatever, is on a button. So whatever app I'm in, I can just hit a button and it opens Chrome with that website there. Cool. Um, there is a button to open all the apps that I frequently use. So if I wanna add, if I wanna open ScreenFlow, there's a button for that. If I wanna do a screen capture, there's a button with an an actual macro, a command that not only opens ScreenFlow but starts a recording. So, when I think, oh, that is cool, I want to do a screen cap of that, I just hit a button and it starts. Right. And um, so you can configure it to, all, to what you, whatever you want. And it's such a great workflow boost. And I'm just starting now using it, and I need to configure a lot more, but it's already so much fun. It's super awesome.
1: Cool. I'm going to check that out because I, I have an iPad. So, I think that'd be fun. Yeah. All right. Uh, my next one is recording sample audio to reference. So this is for things like your drum tuning. Um, if you like, you know, set up the kit and sound it sounded awesome, quickly record each of those drums so that you can later in the day make sure your drums still sound like that <laughs> and compare if they still sound awesome and fresh like those drums did earlier. And you can do this with strings as well. That's how you know if your strings are getting too dead, you know, just like get the bassist to hit each of his strings open or whatever a couple times and then you can go back, or you know, you can also just go back to the beginning of the song, like assuming that you recorded in order of uh, the like chronologically of the song. You could just go listen to the intro di, and then wherever you are at, like the bridge, and listen to that di. And if it's obviously sounding different, then you know, right? Yeah. Um, but there, there's something to be said for like a control. So maybe have him replay the intro and then compare those two, you know, because uh, like a different part is going to sound different, but. You yeah. just want to be able to see, okay, is it are we going crazy or does this actually sound like crap all of a sudden? What's going on?
0: Absolutely. It's super invaluable. Your ears will get tired throughout the session. You're not going to be able to tell
1: um, after a
0: while. And like having that reference
1: is crazy yeah. important. You know what? Honestly, you could do that with vocals too, probably yeah.
0: wise. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um on Saturday on that vocal session that I mentioned, we had a situation where I thought that the take sounded pretty cool and I was not so familiar with that vocalist yet and I thought everything sounded great and then um, one of the guys said hey I think in the demo his voice sounded way better and I I didn't know because I thought it still sounded great and then we went through the session that day and we noticed already that there was like that the voice kind of got worse and then Hmm. we listened to the demo that was done on a completely different day with like a really fresh voice and it was a totally different voice so if I hadn't had that reference I would just like I would said okay that's I would have a proof that take because I right. wouldn't have
1: known that it
0: could be much better
1: ah interesting okay I'm gonna budge in line because it's relevant <laughs> um, but uh I have a tactic <laughs> where I pretend to be busy so that the vocalist like has to warm up <laughs> I'm like go in there warm up and uh I'll, i I just gotta do some stuff and I'll I'll be, you know, as soon as I'm ready, we can jump into it. And then like two minutes later they're like, ah right, okay, I'm good when you are and I'm like, Yeah, it's not enough warming up. <laughs> so I mean, I am doing stuff. You know, there's always something to do. I I'm I'm editing the guitar or whatever, but they just think I'm getting their vocal chain set up. But that that's quick. That takes no time. <laughs> but I'm just keeping busy and I want them to warm up for like fifteen minutes or something, you know? Um and uh that that's one way to get them to do it. Because vocalists seem to hate warming up. So if I Kind of just like don't tell them to, but put them in the room with nothing else to do. It seems to work.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Versus if you tell them to warm up, they'll say, Oh, I'm fine. Let's just go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, already yeah.
1: warm. Let's go. Like, no, oh, you got to do something while I get ready. That's how I word it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, that's a super cool one. That's a good one. It's different yeah.
1: for everyone. But, uh, and the, like, often another good one, if there's a piano and there's somebody in the band that plays piano, I'm like, Hey, go lead a warm up session with the band. And then everybody does warm ups together with like somebody playing scales on piano. And that, that seems to go well.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah, that's that's also a good one. Awesome. Cool. Um, yeah, then uh, real quick. So one, I just threw that in there because it was also part of a session that I am working on right now where I haven't thought about that really in my checklist that I send bands and the, the way they I communicate with bands, but I will do from now on. And it's, um, I tell every band to label tracks a certain way, to organize things a certain way when they track and to... Um, Label tracks, like not with the band members' names or anything, but like with the function of the track. So like rhythm, right, and lead center or whatever. uh, So that I know when I open up the the session, what is what, you know. and So stuff like that. But what I haven't mentioned up until now is that you should probably, it's probably a good idea to make a new track if you change... the the guitar sound, for example. So what what happened was the band sent me tracks. They were super cool, organized. They were labeled clearly and everything was good. And I made a rough mix and started balancing. And like whenever a part changed or at some spots in the song, I was like, "Hmm, what's going on? Like the part before felt right and now everything falls apart. What's happening? And then I, I needed to go search for the track that had changed. And it turned out that they recorded a rhythm guitar track, but they used different guitar tones on that one track. So Mm -hmm. what that leads to is you either need to cut the track um, into pieces and then move it to different tracks for different sounds, or you need to automate a bunch and make different EQ moves in every session. And it's just a, a tedious way to work. So it's much more efficient for yourself during tracking as well. If you have like one rhythm track that has the fuzzy guitar tone, and then you have one that has the high gain tone and one that has a crunch tone or whatever... So that you can just push a fader up for one certain for one sound, and you can make EQ moves and tweaks to that sound, and it will stay consistent through the track, versus having to uh, like enable and disable EQs throughout the song. Yeah, you know?
1: yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. A good rule of thumb is if there is, yeah, if you have to use different plugins on the track for for the sound you're trying to get, it should be on its own track, kind of thing. Yeah, um, but in the case of like a, a fuzz guitar tone, that might be happening with the amp. But if it's different it should probably be on a different track. That's just good rule of thumb. As for naming it, I wanted to quickly touch on that. I've got a uh, a method that I think is foolproof and everybody in the world should adopt. <laughs> it should be instrument, function, descriptive, pan. So for my system, I use a letter for instrument. So it's just D for drums, G for guitar, V for vocals. And then the function, so like you said, could be rhythm, guitar, whatever you want like that, you know. Um, what it's doing in the song. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then descriptive, and that's only if it needs it. And a lot of DIY people that send me tracks aren't recording amp sounds. So they need to tell me that it's meant to be dirty. You know, like this is high gain. I'm like, cool. That's great to have. And then the panning, where it's meant to live. Um, And I like to abbreviate all that. So it might be (laughs) G-R-L. And that's enough for me. Literally, it's guitar, it's rhythm, it's left. Like, that's awesome. You know, you can more letters is fine too, but like it's so awesome. And then when you're actually like a working engineer and you you're trying to bust stuff around, and I click like to bust some like a track to another aux, it shows me all of the tracks in my session, but they're now grouped by alphabetically. So there's all my D tracks, all my G tracks, all my V tracks, and it's like so easy, so easy to see a hundred things, but know exactly where I'm meant to be looking.
0: Yeah, hundred percent agreed same same here basically
1: yeah yeah and i know some people use numbers as well but that's only works with their system so i'm not really into it
0: <laughs> yeah yeah just don't label them thomas take 7 or something like that <laughs> that doesn't make any yeah. sense
1: and it's not relevant for us so yeah thomas bonus Whammy, exactly. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And if you can tell what it is when you listen to it, that doesn't need to be in the name. Like, like whammy, for example. It's like okay, it could it could just be called a lead. I think you know, yeah. <laughs> it's obviously yeah. a whammy. We're we're mixing. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, cool. actually, that's worth mentioning. You're labeling things for the person who's going to be on the song after you, not for you. Yeah.
0: yeah. In in a way, for you to, to move to... Like, if you don't label tracks at all, you should do it for yourself as well because yes. you don't want to search for audio 3, 4, 6 or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's for the person that comes after you and you do yourself a, a favor in the, uh, if you do it. So, yeah cool. Um, and then there's two left here. One is, if you don't have an, an uh, a DI track for whatever reason um, and you still want to um, edit a guitar track... Or make some, or a comp it, or whatever. Um, there is the danger, and even with a DI track, there is a danger here because if you if you're editing guitars and you cut at a transient, so where the pick hits the strings, w- without a DI track, it's very hard to tell where that even is. Mm-hmm. If it's a distorted guitar, and with a DI track, you might see the transient, but the actual pick attack is quite a bit before that because the high spike that you see is already the the note that's coming out of the guitar. And before that, there's the scratch, the pick attack, the start of it. It's visually, it's a little before the the big transient. And a good way to see where that actual pick attack is so you you don't accidentally cut into it is to take the distorted guitar track, put a high-pass filter, a low-cut on it uh, to like 1K or so, so really high up, and then consolidate that. So make a copy of it, consolidate that, and then look at that because the low end will be gone and the first thing you'll see you see clear transients and the first thing you'll see it will be a little before the transient on the DI track actually and that's the scratch the pick attack where the t- the pick hits the string and you're only gonna you're gonna see that better in the amp track actually than you're gonna see it in the DI track so high pass the track make a copy high pass it consolidate it and then look at where the amp tra- uh, where the the pick attack is is a neat little trick to, to not mess up the transients of your guitar.
1: Do you do that every time?
0: No, not every time because I kind of know how much space I need to leave before, like when I look at the DI, so I don't right. do it. It's just a neat little workflow thing before you drive yourself crazy editing guitars and you end up cutting into transients and you're not really finding where the yeah. attack is. So if you don't have a DI especially, and if you want to consolidate, uh, if you want to comp a guitar or edit it, then it can be really hard and really tedious to do that. And yeah. so that's a way to solve that and to get into a better
1: workflow. Definitely. Yeah, I, I only have ever done that when it's like Uber technical needs to be beyond precise. Um, and I like I, I want to visually check that my ears are correct. <laughs> that's the kind of time. But it's yeah, it's definitely a good thing to do. And um, I think worth mentioning that our ears, as humans perceive that pick scrape that, that you would have been missing, as the beat like that's what we're timing is based off for us so you can't really look at the waveform as if you're in time it's what our ears are hearing
0: yeah exactly because that's what people will do a lot of times they will quantize it so that the big peak is mm-hmm. on the grid and that will lead to the guitar being early yeah because the 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 timing is a little like the attack is before that exactly and with that trick you can actually see that yeah so yeah all right and then the last one here on my list is the one that I enjoyed recently um you don't have to do that sometimes less is more but I really enjoy it uh, lately and that is if I'm recording especially for for drums like kick, snares and guitars I would say I do that a lot um so the the technique is to combine two rather extreme sounding mics to get the full picture of what you're recording compared to trying to get everything out of one mic so for mm-hmm. example I had a snare drum last week where I put a dynamic mic on it and it was it was good but it was lacking something so i what i end up doing was i used a specific dynamic mic that has a lot of aggressive mid-range to it but lacks a bit of like bottom fullness and also a little uh, like top end precision um transient but it has a really nice ring and aggression in the mid-range on that snare drum so i used that and next to it with the capsules aligned i put a condenser mic that captured the lows and the highs, and has a rather boring sounding mid-range. So I have that dynamic for the aggression and the mid-range and the crack, and then the condenser for the body and um, the actual wires and the stick attack. Right. And those two combined gave me a way better picture of the overall snare than either one of them. Cool. So cool. yeah, that's one thing. And with guitars, same thing. I have one pretty harsh sounding aggressive dynamic mic set close to the center of the speaker in a really aggressive spot and that alone would be piercing and not enjoyable and then i have a ribbon mic and it's called the VR1 Voodoo by SE Electronics
1: okay it's yeah. like a voodoo mic oh
0: yeah it's called it's called <laughs> VR yeah it's called VR1 Voodoo it's great it's a great uh, ribbon mic but it's pretty dark sounding as some ribbon mics are mm-hmm. and it has the, uh, a, a lot of proximity effect and um so it gets even more like dark and full if you have it close to the cap. And I have that to the side of the speaker more. And then, like, even, like, uh, yeah, making that that characteristic even more ex- extreme that way. Mm. And what what happens is I have two faders with completely different sounding things on it. One is the, the bright, aggressive stuff, and one is the full-body, round, smooth stuff. And because they're so different, you have less phase issues because they are barely related. It's like two different signals almost. And you don't, I, I need almost no EQ aside from some notches that you need to do maybe on, on, on guitars. But it's like a tilt EQ. Like if you move right. the faders, it's like a, yeah, you can EQ the guitar by just moving those two faders. And those extremes on two faders gave me better control and the better overall picture of the guitar again than just one mic. In that, particular situation so it's not always the thing to do and sometimes a 57 is all you need but um, it's worth trying and what I really like about this is the idea of making extreme things and combining them versus like I like that more than doing the opposite where people would put a bright mic in a dark spot and then a dark mic in a bright spot and both Mm. end up sounding pretty much the same Right. so I like to do the opposite I like to make them even more extreme so that there they are less phase issues on the guitar, for example, and that, that every mic can do what, it's, what it does best, basically. Right, I, I like that idea. That's cool. So that's one thing where I just, yeah, instead of, I would have to start, with that snare drum, I would have really, I would have needed, like, yeah, a lot of tweaking would have been necessary to get it to where I would have wanted to be,
1: mm. and the, those two mics just did it instantly. So Cool. All right. That's a heck of an episode. There's a lot in there. I really hope that you did have a notepad out because that was necessary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Might warrant a re-listen.
0: Yeah, that was a good one. I enjoyed that as well. So, this Me too, I learned really, a lot. Sweet. This was action-packed, man. All right, um, let's wrap it up then
1: and um, see you next week. Yeah, absolutely. If you haven't already, come hang out with us in the Facebook group and... Uh, 'Cause it's it's fun times in there. There's some really smart people in there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Go to the self slash community. It will take you to the Facebook group, or if you're on Facebook, just search for the self-recording band community and join us there. And yeah, can't wait to can't wait to see you. And yeah, you have had your notepads out, but all of what we've been talking about in this episode, or at least the most important things and links to stuff, will be in the show notes as well which you'll find if you go to the selfrecordingband.com slash um, 50. Yeah, because this is episode number 50. Yay. <laughs> yeah, right on. <laughs> right on. <laughs> See you next week. Thank you for listening. See you. Bye. Hey friend, thanks again for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this one, just know that this is just a tiny fraction, a small taste of what we can actually do to help you completely transform your recordings and mixes forever. If you are really serious about your music, if you want to reach your goals as a self-recording artist, then please apply now for the Self-Recording Syndicate, our coaching program that takes you from where you are to being able to completely independently produce and release exciting sounding music forever. If you join that program, you're going to be part of a very, very passionate, dedicated, committed group of self-recording artists from all around the world. And you're going to get a roadmap, guidance, feedback, personal access to me and the team. We're going to do everything, literally everything we can to help you make the best recordings you can possibly make. And it all starts with a free first call, completely free, no strings attached, best case scenario. We're going to end up working together and we're going to completely transform the way your music sounds. Worst case scenario, you're going to get an hour of free coaching and an action plan that you can then take and implement on your own so if that sounds interesting to you get started now with your first completely free call by going to the selfrecordingband.com call or just click the link in the show notes see you next week